perfect love, right, that is sourced in himself. And we talked about that it's unconditional, that it's extravagant, that it's based on grace, that it's tough and tender. These are just to jog your memory. Um, and we talked a little bit about our response to that, how should we respond to God's love. And so today, we're going to talk more about how God's love um, should affect us and empower us to live differently. Um, so, do any of y'all have a favorite dupe or like a substitute that you love to use for something? Like, um, for example, some people love Diet Coke or, um, you know, Coke Zero or something. I prefer to get all my chemical spirits fits, as you know. But, um, but I do love a good dupe. And I really, I also really like oat milk. I know that an oat cannot anatomically be milked, but it's delicious. And um, so, you know, thank you to Algies and Amazon for making dupes a thing. Um, it's, it's great when you can look fashionable from a safe distance and still have enough money to buy your own latte. You know what I mean? So, I really do love a good dupe. Um, some dupes are like really good, you know? And some, some things just don't pan out. I don't know if you've experienced this. Um, but like, if you buy, you, this probably hasn't happened to you. I'm not saying it's happened to me either, just hypothetically. <laughs> but like, if you buy some cheap cowboy boots, for example, and then you go to your line dance and they start peeling. Because <laughs> they're actually plastic instead of leather. That's embarrassing. So, saying that would be embarrassing if it happened. So, this morning we're going to talk about how we all try to use a substitute or like a dupe to find our self worth and our identity when the real thing is available to us. So, um, this lesson is called God's Love Makes Us Secure, but an alternate title would be Don't Sell for Super. Cubic zirconium because God has a diamond for you, baby. That's the alternative title, but it's kind of long. So whichever one you want to use, fine. Um, so security is the definition of security is freedom from fear, anxiety, danger, doubt. Um, it's a sense of safety and certainty. If you're like me, that's like everything I want. Everything I just read feels like yes, give me that. You know, um, it's peaceful, it sounds easy, it sounds like heaven because that's where it comes from, that's like the only place you can get it there. But um, we're trying to like find an earthly substitute for this, this is what we do. Um, and there's like no, there's no dupe for this. There's no like Amazon knockoff and tofu does not exist in this realm. So. There are, there's two major types of security. The one is um, situational security that comes from like our perceived control or like a momentary reprieve in life circumstances where we're like, I feel good, things are going well. You know, occasionally that happens. Um, but the one that we're really talking about, the security we're really talking about today is um, a deep inner security that, that says you're all right and that you're loved as a person exactly how you are. Not without, not with like trying harder, not with looking better, not with makeup, not with doing more 
stuff, more accomplishments, not with being more fit um, or more perfect. Just that like you are all right, like a deep sense of that. And everyone at every age has this same basic need to feel unconditionally loved and accepted. Um, there's a chapter in that book, I forgot to tell you about last night, that was my book. And it's called, um, it's like, I think it's one of the very first chapters, it's called, We Must Have Love. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. We must have it. It's, it's a basic need, a human need, right? Like, it's like food, water, safety, love. Like, we must have love. It's a basic human need. And because of that, everyone is either receiving it from God or looking for it somewhere else, right? Those are the only two options. Most people are out there shopping the dupes. So another way to think of it is like looking in a mirror um, and God's love shows us the true image of who we are, right? Like it reflects um, an accurate picture of who, who we are in him, like how he sees us. But most of us pick like a funny mirror, like a, you know, like at a carnival or something, like one of those funny house mirrors. Um, and that means that sometimes we look awesome, because you know how some of them look, like you look like really skinny and good. And sometimes we look horrible. Like there's the other one where you're like, what's wrong with me? Um, but either way, it's a distorted picture of who we are. Um, because we're looking in a distorted mirror. So we, well, this is what we do. This is what everyone does. We work hard, right? And we try to present ourselves worthy of acceptance. And we do this in lots of different ways. Like, you could pick a category, right? Or maybe more than one. But um, maybe it's our looks or our fashion, our intellect, um, our relationships, our achievements. Whatever kind of status we can achieve, we just pick something that we're like, this is good, you know? And then we, then we present it to the world. And we're like, love me. And we just wait. And then we depend on the mirror of other people's responses, right? We're like, here's this thing about me, love me. And when we get compliments and smiles and positive feedback, we're like, okay, I feel good. I'm okay, you know? But if we get any kind of negative feedback, um, we, we feel bad. And we think, what's wrong with me? Like, maybe I'm not worthy of love. Like, I've got to do something better. I've got to work harder. I mean, is this true? Have you experienced this? Um, so there's some major problems with using someone else as your mirror um, for your security. One of the biggest problems is that while you're using them for this, meanwhile, they're also using you for that, right? So, I mean, in the best positive case scenario, the picture is distorted on both ends. You know, if you put a funny mirror and a funny mirror, like, that gets crazy, you know? So. Um, the Bible uses an analogy for this. Um, it says that when we do this, it's like trying to collect water in a broken bucket. Um, Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they dug cisterns or wells for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. So it's like you're trying to like get water, but your bucket is like pouring the water out. You know, <laughs> you're like... Um, so, the answer to this problem is that we have to drop our security from God's perfect love that we talked about last night instead of trying to get it from other people. Um, because receiving God's love 
leads us to confidence and belonging. God's love is the only secure, steady, constant place where you can um, ever find acceptance. And it's the only place you ever need to look for. Um, it's in Jesus and who he says that you are. So you're like, that's nice. If you're like me, you're like, oh, that's nice, Julie. That's really nice. But how do I do that? That's what I would be asking if I was sitting right there. Um, so in this session, we're going to try to unpack that. Like, what does that look like? How do we live that out? Because we want to transfer this concept from, like, this talk to your heart. And we want to transfer it from, like, this retreat to your life, right? So that's what we're going to try to unpack today. Um, did any of y'all ever play Mario Kart? Yeah. Okay. I'm really bad at Mario Kart. Like, I am always in the ditch, right? I'm like, it's true. I'm like in the ditch, and then I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm in the ditch, and I like overcorrect, and then I'm in the other ditch. I'm like, rarely even on the road. I have never won, and I was the Princess Peach, but I'm like really bad at it. So, so I mean, and a lot of times I live my life like this too. Like, I am in a ditch, and then I like, I like overcorrect, and I'm in the other ditch. You know, I don't know if it was like this, but I think there's like two ditches where I like swing and I crash into something. Anyways, I have Mario Kart problems, but I also have life problems. And this, this is, this, these are the security ditches. When you're talking about finding your security juice, there's one ditch that's like low self-esteem, feeling like a failure, um, shame, being fragile and overly sensitive. This is a ditch. But then sometimes we overcorrect, right? And we're in the other ditch. The other ditch on the other side is pride, confidence in what you've achieved, um, arrogance, haughtiness, vanity, like, wow, I have done this thing. I'm kind of awesome. You know, that should be the other ditch. Um, because in light of the gospel, both of these base their evaluation on my personal feelings, right, connected to the opinions of others. Um, but here's something great about the gospel. We talked a little bit about the gospel last night. The gospel is completely honest with you. Um, it's, it's the true mirror because it doesn't lie about you to make you feel better about yourself. Like it's very honest about who you really are and your condition. Um, Jesus ain't no sugar coder, I'm just gonna tell you. But, and he doesn't filter the picture to like make you look better. Like he's not like, Oh, step over there, Julie, better lighting. You know, I mean, he doesn't filter it, right? He just calls it like it is. He meets you with complete honesty and complete acceptance at the same time. So he has overwhelming love for you in spite of the very real flaws that are present. And that's what makes his love unique. Like, you don't have to be better to receive it. He knows exactly how you are, all your flaws included, and he still loves and accepts you. So um, we're going to look at Ephesians 2. You know how I was talking about Ephesians last night. Um, we're going to look at Ephesians 2 for a few minutes. And we looked at uh, a couple verses in Ephesians last night, Ephesians 3. Um, Ephesians is one of Paul's prison letters. He wrote it while he was in jail for preaching the gospel. Um, and he wrote it to the Gentile church um, that was in this town called Ephesus. Um, and he had visited Ephesus on one of his missionary journeys. You can actually read about that in Acts 19. It's kind of fun. You can like 
see when he went to Ephesus for the first time and like met these people and then some people became believers and they started this church in Ephesus. And so then later Paul writes them this letter and he's like, hey guys, love you, remember me, here's some stuff. So the thing about this is um, there's this little baby church, right, in Ephesus. He found it and he moves on. And it's made up of these little baby Christians that are so cute and sweet, but they're little babies. And honestly, the whole Christian religion is kind of a rapidly growing but still pretty tiny baby because Jesus died only about 60 years before Ephesians is written. So the church has um, Jewish people in it and Gentile people in it, which are just means that they're like groups from vastly different cultures, backgrounds, and religions, right? And now they're like together trying to live this thing out. And it gets dicey. So um, one of the main things we talked about last night was about love, right? And one of the other main themes um, communicated throughout our, this book of Ephesians is our identity that comes from the gospel. Because God is trying to tell them, like, I have been doing this mysterious miracle. I've been working on it for a long time now. And it started with the Jews, right? And now it's spread to all cultures and people. And it's about, it's about me. It's about the thing that God is doing. That he gives us um, our, his love, even though we're not worthy to receive it. It's like not actually about us, surprisingly. It's about God. So, um, like our, our worthiness is irrelevant because God is doing this thing from the beginning. And so this aspect of the gospel is really clear in Ephesians, especially in Ephesians 2. Um, and we're going to pick up verse 1. We're actually going to read the whole chapter, but don't panic. It's only 20 verses, and it takes about two and a half minutes to read. I timed it, so you wouldn't worry. But I would encourage you to like follow along if you have a Bible. We're going to read Ephesians 2. Um, just stay with me. And as we read, here's what I want you to be thinking about. I want you to think about how he describes us without Christ, and then how he describes us with Christ. And it's not like a, it's like they go back and forth. Okay, so just be thinking about it as we read these verses. Okay, you ready? Ephesians 2, 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with him in Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages Ages to come, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So now we're in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, who are Gentiles by birth, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Those, like, does yours have any quotes right there? That's kind of like sarcastic quotes, 
He's like using sarcastic quotes, which is funny. Um, and then parentheses, that done in the body by the hands of men. He's like, circumcision, please. Anyway, little Paul joke right there. Um, verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who were once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came, this is Jesus, he came to preach peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now we're in 19, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Okay, so did you catch the contrast in the verses that we read? There's like some very ugly things, some ugly truths about um, who we are apart from Christ, and there's some very beautiful truths about who we are. Did you like hear the context that kind of paints a picture for you? So, um, for example, um, in verse 1 it says, we used to be dead in sin. That's harsh. Um, and it says, we followed everyone else in the world, and by the way, they're following Satan. Also harsh. Um, and then verse 3 says, we did whatever we felt like doing, and we were under God's wrath because of that. We were rebelling against him um, because of our disobedience. And then it says we're separated from Christ, excluded by religious people, like not good enough to hang out with religious people, without hope, without God. Dark, that's dark. Um, far away, divided by hostility. Um, verse 15 says we were drowning in like knowing what we should do, but still like breaking all the things on accident, breaking all the commands on accident, and on purpose at the same time. Um, and then verse 19 says that we were foreigners and aliens, or one translation, one translation says we were like outsiders, outsiders with no rights. So um, that's not necessarily a comprehensive list, like you could probably look at it again later, but it does paint a picture, doesn't it? Do you see the picture it is painting? Um, we were far from God. It was not good. And it really looked not good. Like things were going to stay not good. Right? It did not look very good. Um, and then, here are some of the phrases that used to describe our new situation in our identity in Christ. Again, not comprehensive, but like paints a picture. Verse 4 says that we're alive. We're alive now. Alive in Christ. Raised up from the grave and invited into heaven to be with him forever. Um, it says that we are looking forward to seeing more and more of his unbelievable grace and kindness, that we're recipients of his free salvation, that we're a masterpiece living for him, that's in verse 10, that we're near to God, that God has brought us near. Um, and now we're at peace with God and with other people. Oh, that's much better. And 
We're given access to God. We're citizens of God's kingdom and part of his family. And verse 22 says we're being more and more transformed into a place where God is pleased to dwell. Isn't that good? So here's the thing. Whatever credentials that you have in your character, religious activity, or in your past are irrelevant. And also, whatever credentials that you don't have in your religious activity or your spiritual activity or your past are irrelevant. Does that make sense? Um, the message of the gospel is that we don't have to get there by ourselves. We don't have to like achieve God's love or present ourselves worthy. Um, Christ gets us there, and he gives us all of his credentials. So the Bible is really honest about our condition. It does not sugarcoat who we are, but it meets us there with exactly who we are, and it changes everything. Um, Ruth, you know, the author I talked about, she, she put it this way. I'm just going to read this because I just like she just said it better than I can, you know, so just listen up. She says, the mirror of God's love shows us wonderful, uplifting truths about how acceptable we are in Christ and how much God values each unique person he has created each of us to be. It also shows us humbling truths about our limitations, our needs, our flaws as human beings. It doesn't gloss over our sin and failures, yet it never condemns us for them. The more personally we embrace this picture, the more it gives us a profound sense of being accepted and secure in spite of being far from perfect. God wants us to see ourselves this way, love, accepted, and secure, because in this truth, this is the truth of who we are in Christ. These are facts, and God wants us to know that these are these facts are true because of Jesus. Um, Romans 3.22 is a verse I just love. It says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Um, nothing about you, your background or spiritual credibility, good or bad, matters. That is the truth of the gospel. And one more amazing thing, we kind of talked about this last night, that Jesus won't change his mind about this, and he doesn't change his mind about you. Um, in Romans 8, 39 is a great verse about this. It says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, angels, nor demons, fears for today, or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8, 38-39. So, because of these things that are true, this acceptance that like God has for us, um, not without him, but with him, because these things are true, we can hold our heads high in humble gratitude and total security. We don't have to try to be more than we are or present ourselves in any different light. Um, we don't have to have a, a resume that like says that we're worthy because we already are unconditionally loved and completely accepted. Um, and this is the truth that we have to embrace. So, um, who I am is okay because God says it's okay. And you have, he made you, right? So you have intrinsic value from creation. Um, he designed everything about you on purpose and uniquely to be you. Um, 
he, he created your personality, your abilities, um, all of your looks. The Bible teaches he knit you together in your, in your mom's womb before you were born. And he loves who he made you to be. Like, he made you exactly who you are on purpose. And he's a big fan of his own work. He likes his art, you know what I mean? And he should. He's like, he's an artist, you know? He's like, that is some good work. Um, after he made you, that's what he thought. And so you have this intrinsic value just from being created by God. But also, part two, you have increased purpose at salvation. Now he's created you as this masterpiece, and he's redeemed you for a purpose, right? So um, he's transforming you to look more and more like him. We talked about that a little bit last night. Like he's making you, he's making to you as beautiful as he is on the inside. Like this is his work in your life to make you look more and more like him. He sees you like he sees Christ, and now you're more than okay. You're his treasured, precious, loved daughter. And you never have to prove yourself worthy of love to him because he's already crazy about you, you know? Um, you know how sometimes some dads have like a cute little nickname for their for their little girl, like princess or sweetie pie or doll baby? Um, maybe your dad told you something like that. Maybe he didn't. But either way, God does. Like, he looks at you with this kind of love and delight. And I think he probably has, like, a little nickname he calls you, each one of you. You know, like a little cute little thing that, because he really has tender, loving affection set on you in Christ. Um, and that truth, this, this value of who we are because of God's creation and who we are because of God's redemption, this truth is, like, what keeps us out of the ditches. Right, the two Mario Kart ditches. Remember the ditches? Just me. Okay, so, so because that's true, because we have this worth that's like given to us in Christ from God that we don't have to earn, that means, so that's like what's true. So here's what we can not do now. Like here's what we can give up on. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like this one needs dramatic music. People pleasing. <laughs> right? <laughs> Then you start to do these other things. There's four keys. The first one is people pleasing. Um, here's the sentence. If you find yourself changing what you do, how you do something, what you say, what you wear, these are symptoms of people pleasing. Also, if you find yourself anxious, upset, or angry, or fearful about how people are reacting to you, Reacting to how you say things or where, what you say, do, where, etc. This is people pleasing. Um, the causes of people pleasing is expecting someone else to meet my needs instead of allowing Jesus' perfect love to meet them. So if I need someone else to approve of me or accept me, that means that now they're sitting on the throne of my life, right? They're actually, if I'm looking to a certain person, or approval or certain thing to satisfy me, 
they're actually controlling me. And Jesus isn't controlling my life anymore. He's not ruling my life. That person or that thing is. It's sitting on the throne now. Um, so, what do we do about that? Well, we confess it as sin and we repent and we ask Jesus to sit on the throne of our life again. Be like, Jesus, I'm sorry. I put this person's approval on the throne of my life, but I don't want them to rule and control me. I want you to, you know? So you just ask Jesus to take back what part and you repent and confess that. Um, there's a couple of good verses about this. Galatians 1.10 says, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Oh, ouch, that's strong. Um, Proverbs 29.25 says, Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. That's Galatians 1.10 and Proverbs 29.25. So the second P, first one is people pleasing. The second one that we um, do sometimes when we're, when we're not accepting God's security is performance. So we work really hard to succeed because we want to be known as a competent fill-in-the-blank. Competent whatever we want to be known as competent. <laughs> and we're driven to be good at something, right? We avoid failure at all costs. But it's not for God's glory. It's for our own, right? I mean, because it's not bad to work at something with all your heart, you know, as unto the Lord. But this is like when you're doing it as unto Julie. Because I want Julie to get the credit for it so other people will like Julie. Does that make sense? So performance. Um, 1 John 2, 15 through 17 is the verse about this. It says, do not love the world nor the things it offers you. When you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So, um, the sec- that's the second performance. The third thing is perfection. Perfectionism. Perfection, perfectionism. We want everything to look exactly right. On the outside, at least, so that people think that we have it all together. Um, and this can happen in any area of your lives, like we talked about, you know, it could be appearance or work, family, major, anything, grades, um, but we don't want to show any weakness or possible flaws that would expose who we really are and reflect poorly on us. Um, Psalm 62 is a verse about that. I'm not going to read it, but you can write it down. And then the fourth one is, um, Picking on others, which is actually just a P word to say that you're critical, but it has to be, so it's picking on others. Um, it didn't have to, but I just have to. So, um, subconsciously, you know, you want to look, you want other people to look a little bit worse than you, so that you can feel a little bit better, you know. And sometimes this takes the form of gossip, um, because you want to elevate your own worthiness by tearing someone else down. But it can also happen to someone's face or in type. Um, and this is wicked in God's eyes. I mean, he hates when his masterpieces like start ranking and comparing each other. You know, he hates that job. So he's like, why are you reordering your faith self-importance? You know, like, don't you know I love all of you? Like, why would you do that? Um, and there's a verse about that, kind of about um, being critical. Of, a good verse about that is Philippians 4, 8. You can write that down. But all of these things, these four P's, are rooted in, do you know what I'm going to do? It's another P. 
pride. <laughs> did Anne, did you know it? Did you say pride? I did, but I was the same way. I wasn't reading your notes. <laughs> she just knows, y'all. She just knows. <laughs> Like, is a clue that 
you've probably um, been viewing yourself in a way differently than how God views you or sees you. So it's going to take some work to like wash and rinse and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. Um, confessing your attempts to use others to elevate yourself and asking God to make this true in your heart, to change you. Um, and then reviewing how he sees you, like reviewing his, how, he, how worthy he sees you. Um, but have you ever like used a substitute for something for so long that you like it, you start to like it better than the real thing? Like maybe fake butter or Impossible Burgers or something? I don't know if anyone's <laughs> Impossible Burgers, no, just me. Um, sometimes just finding our security and others can be like this. Like, we've been looking to other people for so long that it's like, feels really normal and natural and we kind of like it, you know? Um, it feels right. So it's going to take some work to, like, reset the button and keep reminding ourselves that that's fake. You know, like, actually, this is not as good. Fake butter is not as good as real butter. Impossible burgers are kind of weird. So <laughs> what God says is real no matter what I feel like. And believing what God says is true is faith, right? That's faith. And faith is always a choice. God doesn't make you believe him, but he always tells you what's true and gives you the opportunity to believe him. Um, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 kind of describes this process of, like, changing your viewpoint of how to, like, reframe, you know? Um, it says... That in reference to your former manner of life, in other words, like the way you used to live, uh, this is 4, 22 through 24, um, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So you like take off the old and you put on the new, kind of like you're changing outfit, you know? You like take off the dirty thing, Put it in the laundry. And then put on the clean thing that you just washed. Hmm. Um, so if you put on a clean thing, it's probably going to get dirty after a while, right? It's like it's going to, like, Erin, she might get spaghetti sauce on it or. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's happened to anybody. <laughs> Me, I might get spaghetti sauce on it. But, anyways, after a while, you even if you put on clean clothes, you have to, like, take those clothes off because they're dirty now and you put on some clothes again. So it's like an ongoing process. Does that make sense? Like it's not something you do once like now I know I'm worthy of God's love. Probably not going to last. And you know like you're going to have to like keep like renewing. Keep doing this process. Um, but our theme verse we're going to read our theme verse again. It's 2 Corinthians 5 14 and 15. It says for the love of Christ controls us. Remember that's the part we talked about last night was the love of Christ. So for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So, that first part says, for the love of Christ controls us. We want it to be the love of Christ that controls us. Some translations say, um, compel, which is a similar idea. But in other words, like something is making you do something. Right, that's what like to control or to compel um, means. And most people are controlled or compelled by their need for acceptance and their desire to be loved, this basic human need. But, so it compels them to do some of the things that we talked about. Um, 
Um, but we want to be the people that are controlled by the love of Christ and compelled to live for him because we understand his love and we're not under the burden of trying to prove something about ourselves. Does that make sense? Okay, let's pray. Jesus, thank you again that you love us and I just pray that we would understand more and more about how how deep your love is, how satisfying, how complete, um, and that we would give up on trying to make ourselves worthy of acceptance because that we would understand that you have given it to us and you continue to give it to us in Jesus. And this is who you are and that is what you do. And so I just um, pray that we would live in that truth and like learn to put it on like new clothes all the time. In Jesus' name, amen.
And then with that reference, the 2 Corinthians 5, 14. So those are outside. So if there's a really long line to get food, go ahead and grab some beads. You want their scissors to cut the bracelets and go ahead and do that. So now we are going to move to workshops. The bathroom's right there. And then afterwards, come back in here for lunch. Any questions? Okay. Oh, and if you wouldn't mind throwing away your plates and stuff at your table because you're not coming back to these exact seats, remember, you're going to be with your small groups. Thank you, guys. Thank <laughs> you.